Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. The internet and social media have become a big part of our everyday life, and an unprecedented amount of information, from movies, music to pictures and personal data, is easily accessible online. Despite this ubiquity, most internet users are often unaware of the legal implications of their actions in cyberspace. One SMU academic who tracks the developments of this dynamic field is Associate Professor Warren Chick from the SMU School of Law. In this podcast, Associate Professor Chick shares his insights into the trends and developments in the areas of copyright and personal data protection, two legal domains which have immediate and direct impact on almost every internet user today. Professor, to begin, could you perhaps define what intellectual property means to you and what constitutes fair use? Well, if you talk about intellectual property, it's actually a package of, uh, of rights. Uh, it applies to copyright and trademarks, patents and so on. But I think uh, what you're referring to probably is more in the line of copyright law, where it's really an uh, area of law designed to protect interests of creators and to ensure that they reap the rewards of their intellectual creations. Uh, the reason why we have copyright law is to ensure that it encourages people to create things. In the past, it has of course to do with uh, books, writing and so on, but of course that has developed and now people create, uh, well there's a lot more uh, opportunity for creativity such as uh, audio, video recordings and now even uh, content on the internet. So almost everybody now is a content creator. Uh, and there's this phenomenon called the user-generated content. So everybody is creating things, and everybody, in a sense, have copyright or rights over what they create as well. And this right is exclusive to them. So for example, if I set up a log page, a blog, and I write things on it, and I take pictures and I post on it, all the content belongs to me. I have the right to reproduce it. Uh, I have the exclusive right to publish it and to share it and to license it to other people. But they require my permission. You mentioned fair use. That is actually an ex exception to copyright law, which allows people to use uh, other people's content without permission, but to a very limited extent. So, for example, if I use a sample of what somebody writes or I, or I cite somebody or I quote someone, uh, that's okay. But, of course, we draw the line between that to taking everything that belongs to somebody else. So the challenge here with the internet is that um, the lines of, of, of when it is fair and when it's not fair to take somebody else's content becomes a little bit more blurred because the substantiality test of how much I take doesn't really apply in the same way to online content as to traditional content. So it's a little bit more difficult in that sense. We are faced with a dynamic environment where new technologies are emerging all the time. What have you observed to be the impact of such new technologies on copyright laws? And what are the key challenges facing content authors around the world? Well, the biggest challenge to content authors, for that I think mainly I refer to the, the, the broadcast or the media industry. It's really uh, how they manage their creative content, the creative works that they own. Uh, I'm sure we are all aware that uh, there is what is considered a problem of, of downloading materials or downloading music or videos. And um, it has had a very adverse effect on the uh, financial prospects or the financial uh, situation of the broadcast industry or the media industry. So the immediate um, 
solution for them is, of course, to try to enforce uh, copyright law, to try to uh, sue you know, people who are appropriating content or allegedly appropriating content for infringement. But uh, that is only one way or one tactic, and it has not been proven to be very successful. Um, there is, of course, a great difficulty in taking action against individuals, and there will be a backlash from individuals as well, who are used to sort of taking content online or listening to music online for free. So the other uh, strategy, and this is what they are trying to do now, is really to diversify their business model. Uh, in the past, music videos were all um, sold in physical form, right, on, on cassette recorders in the beginning and then to CDs. And now we find that uh, even the broadcast of the media industry is going towards uh, selling music online in digital format. So, for example, iTunes and so on. That followed from the whole litigation relating to Napster and all the P2P uh, technology. The other thing that they are doing is to try to license out music. So, if you think about Spotify, for example, where they they license music to to Spotify, and then Spotify, you know, gets a subscription from people, and then they can listen to all the music in the in the library there. So, that's another way in which they're trying to change their business model. Uh, for broadcast content, an example I can give is MediaCore, for example. Right? Uh, MediaCore now, has now set up websites where they replay old uh, TV programs uh, for individuals. And that's in response, uh, in, in effect, it's a challenge to uh, the online um, platforms which actually allow for the free uh, recording and re-broadcasting uh, of these contents. So there was a recently a legal challenge between Record TV and MediaCore. Record TV is an online uh, sort of recording device, and the courts came on the side of Record TV. So the only response that MediaCore could come up with it was to create SYN and MSN, to do something similar, to challenge, against, uh, to challenge the upstart. Professor, in your opinion, how has Singapore developed and progressed in the area of copyrights? What about the rest of Asia? For copyright law, I think Singapore has uh, amended its laws many times. Uh, in fact, because of our obligations under the free trade agreements, our copyright law is actually very advanced now. In fact, um, quite a number of the provisions that we've included in the law is actually uh, taken from the, the United States Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So, for example, we have updated our laws to deal with uh, things like uh, caching, for example, uh, storage of information and uh, the transfer of information, as well as uh, we have laws for the protection of certain internet intermediaries like search engines, internet service providers. So our copyright law has been brought to the digital or the internet age. It, it takes into account the way the internet works because the way the internet infrastructure works is it does certain things that really goes against the traditional exclusive rights of the individual. For example, if I visit a web page, I'm downloading it and in a sense I'm making a copy of it. But the Act now has certain provisions which allows that. And also, um, of course, we have updated our laws on fair use, what we call fair dealing here, and it is really it really reflects the fair use, uh, the flexible fair use provision that the United States uh, copyright law has. Other changes, uh, more recently, there has been some amendments to the law again to uh, allow copyright owners to require or request the courts uh, to get certain websites blocked 
this is another latest attempt by the copyright owners, of course, to try to strengthen their rights all right, and to try to strengthen the enforcement of their rights. So there has been regular updates to our law. And so I would say that we have one of the more robust uh, copyright laws, at least in our region. In other countries uh, in Asia, generally speaking, um, there are some difficulties, right? We have countries that are just starting to open up. So these issues will probably not be at the forefront of a legal reform. For example, Myanmar, which has just recently opened up. So even in Southeast Asia, I think we have one of the strongest uh, copyright laws. If you talk about a country like China, yes, China is part of the WTO, it's part of WIPO. So it has also brought in copyright law into the domestic legislation. But I think for countries like that, the challenge is really to change mindset because the idea of protection of intellectual property and not sharing information is, is quite new, you know, and, and it's a cultural thing, and I think they need time to, to change. And also, of course, there is uh, a certain lower level, I would say, generally, of enforcement there. Uh, but, of course, it's starting to pick up because as more and more, generally speaking, Western businesses enter into the China market, uh, they will, of course, insist on protecting their rights. And there are more and more cases of, uh, of big companies bringing action against uh, smaller companies for infringement in China. So it is getting there, but it will take some time. Now let's shift our focus from the protection of creative material to the protection of personal information. In the area of personal data protection, what are the trends that you have seen both globally and in the region? Data protection um, principles emerged in the 1980s uh, in the OECD and it has taken flight in especially in countries uh, in the European Union. That's because data protection and privacy is a fundamental right there. Is enshrined in the Charter of Fundamental Rights. So the EU has very, very strong laws on data protection and it has gotten stronger as time has gone by. In the past, they had the Data Protection Directive. Recently, they are in discussion now to really strengthen it, to turn it into a regulation which makes it even stronger. And also, uh, they have changed the law to strengthen the rights of individuals to privacy over their own information. A couple of months ago, there was um, a European Court of Justice case which said that individuals have a right to be forgotten and they actually could request search engines to de-link any information or any links that lead to information online regarding themselves. Uh, that is quite a wide-ranging decision and it has given you know, uh, Google, for example, a lot of difficulty in terms of enforcement. But it has strengthened individual rights. On the other hand, in Asia, it is still quite a recent phenomenon, data protection. One of the earliest uh, proponents of data protection is Hong Kong, which came up with its privacy ordinance in 1995. And then Taiwan came out with it. But it's taken quite a while for the rest of the region to catch up. And now, in recent years, uh, of course, uh, several other countries have enacted some of these laws. Philippines have come up with a bill uh, which I think is still not passed, but Malaysia and Singapore have recently enacted the law. So it is now data protection is a reality uh, in Singapore, in Malaysia and a few other countries which have that law in their statute books. What's the impact of data protection laws on individuals and businesses? The benefit for individuals is that we have greater control over our personal information because data protection laws essentially protects personal data. So individuals have uh, more control over who 
holds their personal information, which can include, of course, the name, the telephone number, contact details, where they live, what they do, what their interests are, and so on. And that is very important, right? especially now at this day and age where personal information is so easily disseminated over the internet. So stronger control and also more informed. Individuals can get more informed because now the requirement under data protection law is for Organizations, not just businesses, organizations can include businesses, um, non-profit organizations and individuals as well. But it requires anybody handling personal data to really seek consent from the individual before they take the data, before they use it, and if they want to share it with another organization. So there's more informed information for individuals and they can control it better. And also there's always an opportunity for a withdrawal of personal information from organizations. So greater control for individuals. On the flip side, businesses, of course, will have a lot more to do because they have to handle personal data and ensure that um, the data of people they're collecting uh, is secured. And also, they need to, of course, approach individuals before they collect personal data. But on the other hand, there are benefits to organizations collecting information when they get information and they get the consent of individuals, then it is more likely that when they approach these people uh, for follow-up, whether it's business-related or otherwise, that they are really attracting the audience that they want and who will be interested in what they have to offer. So it's actually meant to be beneficial to individuals and businesses, but I think, of course, the greater impact will be for individuals for more control over their personal data. How do you see this evolving in the future? Any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, in Singapore, for example, and Malaysia, we just started, we just enacted the law. So I think our companies, our organisations will need some time to get used to it and to implement it. And of course, uh, for individuals as well, we will need some time to actually be aware of our rights and, and what we can do and cannot do regarding our personal data. And it, that will take a little bit of time. But as time goes by, I think we will catch up and we will probably have to change the law to strengthen it uh, in the future. For example, what is happening in the EU, the right of erasure, the right to be forgotten, the right to control whether people receive information about myself or not. That's one thing. Another thing that uh, can change is the right not to be tracked. Because now a lot of... Uh, online companies, they track your movement, right? Which, what kind of web page you go to, what kind of interests you have. And there have been some uh, laws in the US which some parliamentarians attempted to pass, but they did not, regarding the right to be tracked or right not to be tracked. So that's something that probably will develop in the future. Another area that we need to be more robust with is to increase protection for sensitive information. For example, information relating to children, financial information, and so on. So for these areas, uh, the law, the basic protection may not be sufficient and we may need to implement stronger protection, stronger security, for example, for these types of information. Thank you, Professor. You're welcome.